are certain kinds of people that really get under my skin. There are some people that get so much under my skin that, I'm going to be honest, it's really hard to like. And some of you may fit into these categories, and some of you may identify with these categories, but there's just certain kinds of people that, I'm going to be honest, just really kind of grind me. Let me give you an example. If you get in the express lane of 15 items or less with 38 items, you are annoying. And I'm going to tell you, I stand there and count. I'm like, 14, 15. You, there are other lines for you, right? Uh, can I just tell you, if you are a Patriots fan in February, you get on my nerves. It's like an Alabama fan in December. Let me give you a couple more. I mean, these are people that, that just, you, 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 some of you are going to shout hallelujah. Slow drivers in a fast lane. That's right. Black shoes in a brown belt. Come on, people. Own two belts or own two pair of shoes, whichever one you choose. But black and brown don't go together when it comes to belt and shoes. Telemarketers who use a number that is similar to mine trying to trick me. Anybody got those numbers? If I see 615-416, it's just an automatic block call now. You got me once because I'm going, oh, that's kind of cool. Somebody's calling me that's a number close to mine, but no. Bro country fans claiming that it's real country. All right, it's going to get a little personal. People who leave the toilet paper roll empty, and you don't figure it out until it's too late. Like, it is not that difficult. You have finished, so at least do the person who's going to, just, just don't leave it empty. And then most of all, people who leave pickles on a Chick-fil-A sandwich. Oh, come on. <laughs> I went through the drive-thru last week, and I told the person, who, which, by the way, Chick-fil-A, you know, I saw a meme this week that if only our government ran like Chick-fil-A drive-thru lines, man, we would be in business. But I told the person, it was one of those, they were backed up, so you had the person outside. So I told him, or her, I won't even put it on a guy, it was him or her, no pickles. So he finishes up the order, and I said, hey, did you, did you get no pickles? Oh, yeah, I got you. So then I get up to the drive-thru, so now I'm on layer two. Do we get no pickles? And she reads the tag, yeah, no pickles. I was like, are we sure? Yes, no pickles. I get out, I take that first bite, and guess what's on the sandwich? A pickle. Now, for some of you, like, it's not a big deal, just take the pickles off. But the pickle juice gets in the bread, and then it just ruins the sandwich, right? And I'm going to tell you, it gets under my skin. Makes it hard for me to like you, Chick-fil-A, when you put pickles on my sandwich after I ask you three times for no pickles on the sandwich. But you know what all these things have in common? All of these things either do something different than I would do, or they want something different than I want. And I got to say, I mean, all of life is about me, right? I mean, all of life is about you. And so if you get annoyed at the person who's going through the checkout line that says 15, but they've got 18 items, you wouldn't do that, right? And if you want no pickles on the sandwich, that's something that you want, and what I've learned about life as it revolves around me is that not only am I entitled to my opinion, my opinion is typically right. But I'm also learning that what I really am is just entitled. 
And so for a long time, when I would kind of go through these moments where it'd be music or sports, I, I, would, I would be argumentative and I would be kind of negative and I would, you know, you know, I would cut and I would make even like lines of like fellowship sometimes. Do I want to take this person to dinner to watch a game because I know they're an opposite fan? And I, and, and I would get to these places where I go, you know, but it, does it really even matter? I mean, it's just sports, right? It's just music. It's just driving. It's just, it's just pickles, But then here's what I began to notice in my life as I began to navigate out of my 20s and into my 30s is that it began to spill over into some weightier things. Being argumentative about sports and as fun as I thought that was, even though I found out later that there were some people that really kind of unfriended me on Facebook because I was a a certain kind of fan. I'm like, come on, really? And then I started unfriending people. But it's just sports, right? But it began to spill over into some weightier things and things that have a tendency to not just deeply divide us, but they really emotionally charge us. And what I'm learning as we begin to navigate this this culture is that we are fractured along a lot of lines. We're fractured along language lines, geography lines, race lines, skin color lines, religious lines, worldview lines, and ideology lines. We are deeply fractured about weightier things, things like economics and politics, health care and education, immigration and climate change. See, that goes beyond just being a Patriots fan, doesn't it? Those things hit home and you automatically get a little bit emotionally charged over those things. And you know that chances are there's someone else that's sitting in here that has the opposite view of you. But if you knew it, you probably wouldn't sit close to them. You definitely wouldn't be in house group with them. How about things like gender and abortion, government shutdown, whom one prays and pledges allegiance to, walls and borders. These are things that are the result of a deeply broken humanity. They deeply divide. And if we're honest, church is in the same boat. Just look around. Look at, at, at various splinters and factions that exist just within our city, just within Goodlitzville. Just on your drive-in, begin to look and you begin to see that you know the church, this body of Christ that we've been reading about, is deeply divided as well. I mean, Christians, let's be honest, are some of the, the meanest people I know, especially to other Christians. When it comes to being able to communicate and fellowship and like, we just sometimes get under our skin. And when we do, we begin to to lash out. We become deeply divided and disgruntled. And so here we are this morning. and, And can I just say, you have a choice. We sit here today and we have a choice, and, and the choice that, that, that we will choose, how we will choose to respond to people who get under our skin, people who think differently than us, people who bring a different view to the table, people who like different things and want different things. We have a choice in how we navigate this, this diversity, how we navigate this division, and the choice is critical. I told you, I got to a place where I was like, does it really matter? It's just sports and pickles and music. And then as I realized, you know what, when we begin to weigh in on some of the weightier things, it does matter. It's critical. And the way I treat people, the way I approach people, the way I post about people, the way I I talk about people, the way I interact with people matters. 
And so here we are this morning, and here's what I want for the next few minutes. I just want us to wrestle with this. And I want you to wrestle with it on two levels. I want you to wrestle with it personally, but I want us to collectively wrestle with it. As a body of people, as, as a, this little church called Well House that is, is perfectly formed by God to exist at this time in this place for a specific reason, I want us to collectively and individually wrestle with this. And here's why this matters. Jesus loves and died for the person on the other side of the issue too. And I don't think we always realize that. I don't think we stop and we think about that. We get so caught up in what we would do and what we want and the way I think and my opinion is, is somehow more enlightened than or more educated than or just right. That we get to this place where we begin to view who's on the other side of the issue as an, as an opponent. We begin to, to view them as not quite worthy. We begin to view them as not quite deserving. And what I've got to realize in these moments of tension, which will come in these moments where I have a choice on how I will navigate diversity and division that Jesus loves and died for the person on the other side of the issue too. Any of the issues, even the Patriot fans, but any of the issues we've talked about. So when I get emotionally charged and my blood gets pumping and, and, and my grandmother used to say curling. i got to remember that in these moments, Jesus loves and died for the person on the other side of the issue. And that in and of itself should de-escalate that. And it's really that simple. So in those moments that I begin to spew hate at someone or I get argumentative just for the sake of winning when, I'm, when I'm, I'm tempted to bash someone either to their face or better yet behind their back or behind a keyboard, that I'm doing that to someone or directed at someone that Jesus loves deeply and sacrificed for greatly. So i got to confront this, and that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to confront to the, front this. We're going to overcome this. We're going to navigate this with some grace. And like Leanne said a minute, our lives, and there are lives that depend on this. We talked about last week that this great truth that, that Paul writes about, that, that there is death and there is life, and, and, and those who are dead are separated from God, but thanks be to God, right? Because of his great love for us, he made a way that there is, there is life that comes out of this relationship with Jesus. And so when I don't approach these things with grace, it really is or could be potentially a matter of life and death for the person who's on the other side or the person that is you. And so this matters a lot. So the question that we're going to approach Ephesians chapter 2 as we kind of end this, uh, this chapter and turn to the next one is this. How do we deal with people who get under our skin? What do we do with these people? People that if we're really honest, I don't like, I don't want to do dinner with, I don't want to necessarily, I mean, I'm good sitting in here with, but I, I'm just not sure I want to, you know, go to any sort of level of relationship that really matters. What do I do with these people? How do I live in community and live in harmony with people that I disagree with? And how do we create a church where different stories from different backgrounds can be celebrated and shared moving in a unified direction? So fortunately, Paul has some thoughts on this. And as we read this, I want you to keep in mind that he's directing this toward Jesus followers. 
Now, this can be applied to a lot of different areas. You can apply these same principles, some of these things, to coworkers you don't like. But in context, what he's talking about here, he's talking about Christians liking other Christians, dealing with other Christians who aren't like you. This is a Christian and Christian thing. And so here's what he says about the issue. He says, therefore, he says, remember that formerly... You who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcised, which is done, by, done in the body by human hands. He says, remember that at their time you were separated from Christ, excluded from, from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the bear, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Uh, in him, the, the whole building is joined together and rises up to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, uh, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And I read this, and at first glance, it's kind of like, hold up, we've kind of moved from this life to death and this prayer, you know, where Paul wants us to pray some things. And I get to this, and it's like, am I missing something here? It's almost like I'm stepping into a conversation that I don't really uh, understand or I didn't see coming. I mean, there's not been any moment or hint of tension to this point. Now, all of a sudden, it's like this big tension bomb was dropped in. So let me give you a little background. In that time, you had really two groups of people. You had Jews. You had this this people known as Israelites, the, the, the people of Israel, and they were God's chosen people. And they were God's people that he had made a covenant with. And, and over time, they, they were the people that took this blessing and they made it all about them to the point that they began to culturally divide. They began to socially and relationally divide. They used it to leverage power. They used it to leverage control, and God was never pleased with that. And so you had this group of people, and then you kind of had everybody else, and that was known as the Gentiles. And these were people that, honestly, a lot of, of Jewish people, especially when it comes to this culture in, in Ephesus, just didn't have a lot of use for. They were unclean. They were dirty. They were less than. They, they were subhuman, even. And it became very clear in the way that they would treat each other in the marketplaces and in the workplaces and, and just life in general. So hold on to that. And then you also had this place in the Old Testament time where the presence of God would dwell. And it was in the temple in Jerusalem. And this was, was the, the physical place where it would represent God's presence. And he was in this place known as the Holies of Holies. And no one could access this. But there was more than just the Holies of Holies. The temple was constructed in such a way that only certain people could go into or allowed into certain places. And so the, the layout was like this. It was like if, if, if this rug was the temple, all the hardwood would be known as what was called the Court of Gentiles. 
And this was areas for those who weren't Jewish. They were the outer boundaries. Not a lot of, of, of good happened there. It was considered unclean. It was not a place of anyone with any sort of character would want to go or at least hang out for very long. In fact, there was a dividing wall. There was a wall of partition, as it's called, or a wall of hostility, which means a wall of hatred. And it was a little wall with a doorway, and if you were, as a non-Jew, if you were to cross that boundary, even with a foot, you would, you, you would be deserving of death. And so you had this outer realm known as the court of Gentiles that was divided by a wall of hostility, a wall of partition, a dividing wall. And inside of that, you had the court of Israel. And this is where if you were born into, you were a good law-abiding, you, you, you did everything the Mosaic law asked of you, you were a good-standing Jew, you were allowed into this area. And inside of that area, there were various places. You had a court of men of Israel, and you had a court for the women of Israel, and, and, and no one could kind of, you know, mingle in between the two. And then inside the temple, you had kind of the court of priests. So if you came from the tribe of Levi and you were a priest, you were allowed into this, and there would be certain things you would have to do in order to cleanse yourself to get into those areas. Then you had behind this big curtain, you had what was known as the holies of holies. And then this is where the presence of God, and so one day a year, the high priest and the high priest only would consecrate himself, and he would go in and he would sacrifice. He would make an atonement for the sins of Israel. To the point that they would tie rope around his, his leg because if he, something happened and he died in there. They couldn't go in there and get him. They would pull him out. No one was allowed inside of this. And it was, again, divided, separated by the super thick curtain that if anyone other than the high priest would cross. And so this was the, the layout. This was designed to create distinction between those who were holy and those who were not. Those who were in and those who were out. And it simply reflected the same distinction that had been a major part of their culture, culture for centuries. Then comes along Jesus. So Jesus comes along and he begins to say like, things like this. Anyone who believes is welcome. He begins to say, well, whoever comes to me, I will not cast away. He begins to say in so many words, hey, in this new covenant, this new movement that I'm going to create, everyone's welcome. So here's the scene. You've got Jews and you've got Gentiles who are used to this division by law, these very clear and distinct lines that could not be crossed. You've got both of these now under this new covenant, this church, this ecclesia, that, that, this movement that the apostles through Jesus has created. You've got both of them coming to salvation through the same person, Jesus, in the same churches. And we stop there and we go, that's good news, right? That's great. And you would think so, but what happens is it creates tension. It's not good news. It puts a riff between the old and the new. It puts a rift between the Jews and the suddenly welcomed in Gentiles. And the Gentiles would go, hey, I don't know what the big deal is. Jesus said everyone. And so if Jesus says everyone, well, guess what? I'm everyone. I'm anyone. And the, and the Jews would go, I, I'm having a hard time with this. 
We have the birthright. We have the scars to prove. We, we, listen, you're just not pure. You're not pure enough. You, you don't belong here. You don't completely belong here. I mean, over there is fine, but not here. You're not welcomed. And you had these moments where they were trying to create these, again, lines of distinction that they had been used to, but was no part of Jesus' plan, no part of his new movement. It was these moments where they would say, we're in. I'm sorry, but you're out. Thank God times have changed. There's my sarcasm for the morning. I was at Starbucks on Wednesday. And uh, I was waiting on someone to come and sitting kind of there. And, and uh, I, I saw some, some people that uh, were having a conversation. And, you know, as it is in Starbucks, you kind of overhear, but you don't necessarily listen, right? Until I heard them talk about church. And, and so then I kind of, I, I keep pretending like I'm on Facebook, but I'm kind of leaning in, you know what I'm saying? So at this point, I'll just be honest, I was kind of eavesdropping because I'm always curious about what other churches are doing and, you know, kind of what's going on and, and those sorts of things. And, and uh, within a few minutes, what I figured out is that they weren't just talking about church. They were talking about the two things that my granddad should never be talked about at family gatherings, church and politics. And as I listened and and sat there kind of scrolling, waiting on who it was that I was waiting on, I heard one of them say something, and this was the conclusion that, that they reached. The individual said, they're just too far apart. They're too far gone. They're crazy. I think it'd be better if we could just kind of go our separate ways and if we could somehow figure out how to get them out. He went on to say, he said, I'm sure hope they're happy dividing things the way they have. And I don't know which side of they're on. And then what he said, I just don't see a way this is ever going to get fixed. And I was halfway up because I had the answer, right? I mean, I just looked over Ephesians chapter 2. I knew Paul has the answer. And saved by the bell, the person came in. And I was like, whew, thank goodness I didn't have to get into that conversation, which I wouldn't have anyway. Paul has the answer to this doom and gloom, this negative diagnosis. And here's, here's the answer. When the church unites around Jesus, divided cultures mend. Now get this. Read it carefully. When the church unites around Jesus, not around the same color, not around the same likes, not even around the same wants when it comes to the physical world, not around the same worldviews even. When they unite, now Jesus has a way of shaping all of it, but when they unite around Jesus, cultures mend. Guys, I'm talking about the real Jesus, not our version that we like to think of sometimes and that we have kind of bought into maybe, and I don't know how you feel about Jesus. I just know that culturally speaking, there is, there's a, a stereotypical way that a lot of Christians maybe view and a lot of outsiders that view Jesus. But I'm talking about the real 
church, the real Jesus, not the, the manipulated, the, the mutilated, the self-serving, you know, where we leverage him or we leverage this to get something that we want or to somehow create a following in order to be able to do something that, again, we just don't read about, we just don't see. I'm talking about not where we leverage something to get something we want, but instead we give up everything to serve its core values. And Jesus says it over and over again throughout his ministry. You want to know what I'm about? Here it is. I'm about love and grace and hope and peace and justice and reconciliation. I'm about forgiveness. I'm about second chances. I'm about creating these environments, these moments where people who are even far away feel that they can come in and be welcomed. And so with that as the background, and having dipped the thermometer in our current church culture, look again at what Paul says. Now, I don't know if you caught it the first time through, but what, 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 what happens in this, it's the same thing as we talked about last week. And if you weren't here, uh, if you were snowed in, go back and read just the first part of, of chapter 2. What you're going to see in that is, is that there's some things that happen personally. And what we see in the latter part of this, as he's talking now about community, the things that happen or the things that he recalls us to personally are the same exact things that, in, in a sense, that he calls us to collectively. And it's this. He says, remember who you are, remember what was done, and now look forward to where you're going now. He says, do that personally in the first half, and in the second half, he's going to say, here's what you need to do, remember, and become as a collective body. Look back at verse 11. He says, therefore, and the therefore is he's talking about in light of what we've just talked about, in light of being made into this handiwork, in light of being made alive when you were dead, in light of you personally being united with Christ, or, or with God through Christ, in light of these life-changing things that have happened. He says, therefore, with that in mind, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised uh, by those who call themselves the circumcision. Again, these were markers. These were cultural things that would happen in order to become or in order to signify that you were a Jew. He says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, you were excluded from fellowship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants without what? Hope. And without God in the world. He starts off and he says, listen guys, can we, can we center around, huddle up, remember who you were. And remember that, you know what, at the end of the day, you're all without hope. It's all of you. The fact is, is that all of you were excluded to some level. That remember, the presence of God was not able, well, you weren't able to get fully into the presence of God, only the high. But there's something happened. See, when Jesus died, you remember what tore? The veil, that curtain. All of a sudden, now God comes out of that and He is fully accessible. He is relational. He's ready. And he is welcoming. He says, listen, all of you to some level, to some degree, that's your story. He said, yes, Gentiles, I get it. You, you had a lot of exclusion. But all of us, he says, but that's no longer your story. And they had forgotten their story. And they had forgotten that their story becomes the communal story. It becomes the collective story. And i got to wonder, do we have a tendency to forget 
And when I forget my story, when I forget the condition I was in, that's when I begin to draw the, 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 the most distinct lines. That's when I become really divisive. That's when I draw lines that are honestly comfortable for me. This is where I'm comfortable because I, I don't remember where I came from. I don't even remember that. Sometimes I was on the other side of the line. And so I draw it in these comfortable places. And, and he says, you got to remember. He says, don't forget that at some point in your life, you were without God. That At some point, you were lost in your mistakes and you were lost in your failures. You had created this, this gap. You were lost in your sin. You had no hope. Last week, we, we've already talked about this. He says, you were dead. He describes it as death, and he says, listen, it's not just important that you remember this individually, but you've got to remember this collectively because you remembering it individually shapes what you do and how you interact and the way that you become welcoming collectively. He says, and death is where you were headed. No exclusions. And then we get to verse 13, he says, but, and I told you last week, when there's a but, there's always something big about to happen. Last week it was because of his great love for us. This week he says, but now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. He says, okay, now that you remember where you are, but look what happened. Look what was done he says, you were far away. It represents what he's talking about. He's trying to create in his language. He says, there was a great distance that stood between you and the chance of ever making it. There was no chance that you could make it up. It's like me and my F-150 trying to catch a Maserati. He says, the gap is too far. He says, let me create a word picture for you so that you can understand. You were distant. You were far away. He says, but through Jesus, something happens. There was something that was done. And I love this word, and I've missed this word for song. He says, but you were brought. Just sit on that for a second. It's a word that he's talking about. You were brought near. He says, you were carried near. You were transported near. It's such a key word because what it tells everybody involved is that you didn't catch up. You didn't make up the ground. You didn't build the bridge. You were transported. And he says you were transported. You were brought. You were carried. You were carried near. He says, so before you get too haughty, before you get too snooty about where you think you are, Remember, you didn't get there on your own. You were brought there. You were not just invited there. You were transported there. And you were brought by Jesus. And then it does something powerful. It does the unthinkable. The thing that the, that the, that the little talk group in, in Starbucks had no answer for, that they didn't think was a possibility, they didn't think could ever happen under any circumstances. And I read this and go, oh, but it can. Oh, and it will. When we begin to unite around Jesus, look what he says. Verse 14, he says, For he himself is our peace, one of the most beautiful things. Who has made the two groups one? And has not just 
opened it. He destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself, and I love this, one new humanity out of the two. We see this severely divided. And let's call it what it is. Our culture is severely divided. It's Jew and Gentile. He says, and those two become one. How? Because you were both brought near through Jesus. Guys, this is beautiful. And I so desperately want this for our world. We all should. I don't get any enjoyment anymore out of picking at people over things that don't matter and things that do matter. There was a day when I would engage that and it took everything. I, and I started to remember, you know what? The person on the other side is loved and was sacrificed for the same way I was. And then I continue to read. I, just, I don't know if I have it in me to, to, to be on the same page or in the same place. And I read and I said, what I figure out is that it's not up to me. It's not some skill that I have to develop. No, it's a sacrifice. It's a surrender I have to make. And when I begin to surrender myself to Jesus, when I begin to just open myself up and say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to make you king of my life. You're the one that's going to rule. You're the one that's going to call the shots. I'm, you're the one I'm going to model my life after. You're the one I'm going to follow in the footsteps of. What I begin to see is that I individually change. And then I get into a body of people that is committed together to collectively change. And in that, communities change. Because we unite around something. And division, slowly over time, or sometimes it's fast, begin to, to mend itself. And I so desperately want that for our world. I want that for our communities. I want that. I, 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 the current condition should, should rip our hearts out and send us to our knees. And, and, and we should be crying out, God, heal this. And I believe that God would respond with, I will. But you've got to play your part. You've got to roll in this too, Jason. And it starts with remembering that you're not the only one that I died for. You're not the only one and you're not the only type and you're not the only kind that I love. You're not the only one that when I was transporting people from, from far to near, you're not the only one that was on the shuttle. He says, no, I've created a new humanity. And, and I love where this is going because as we continue to walk through, he's going to get pretty explicit about what, exactly what he's talking about. That in Christ, there's no more of, of certain things. There's no more Jew and Gentile. There's no more male and female. There's no more free and slave. He says, no, it's a new humanity. It's something new. And then he says, now you're going to be a part of something. You're going to be a part of the building process. So here's 
where you were. Here's what I've done. Now here's where we're going. He told us in the first part, individually, here's where you were. Here's what I've done. And here's who you are. Now he's telling us collectively, here's where you were. Here's what was done. And here's where we're going. Consequently, verse 19, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built up, what? Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus as himself, as the chief cornerstone in him. The whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And look at this, verse 20. And in him, you too, everyone, you too, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. See, this goes back. He says, let me take you back to the way I ended the individual part. We talked about God's masterpiece, his handiwork, that he's created you for something. He's created you for good works. Now he says, guess what? Now you're going to join and other people who are also brought from death to life, who have also been made to be a masterpiece. He says, you're going to join together. In verse 22, he says, you're going to become a holy temple, the place where people will encounter the living God. You realize that? that when we join together, Paul says, you become a temple where people get to encounter the living God. It's a dwelling place for God. Can you let that sink in for a second? Guys, we didn't just create a big machine for generosity. Anybody can do that. We didn't create just a social gathering place. No, we created a place called Wellhouse Church so that people can become acquainted with and get to know and be in the presence of the living God. We created a temple. And that's why I love the fact that there's so many different places and different stories that have come together to make Wellhouse. And, and, and the story's going to be added to. There's going to be more and more that I believe are going to come because they know that this is becoming and is going to continue to become a temple where people get to dwell and be in the presence of the living God. And I love the fact that God has called us to this. Let that take hold. Let it shake us. Let it shape us that when the church unites around Jesus, divided cultures Mend. Paul says, oh, not only is it possible to have a united church in a divided culture, it's powerful. It's powerful. I don't know how you view church, but here's the way I view church in a nutshell. That I believe church is the hope of the world. Because the church's sole responsibility is to do what? To point people, to live out, and to live like Jesus. And when that happens, I believe that divisions will begin to fade into the shadows of the sun. So as we land this morning, here's what I want to ask as we kind of use this to not just shape our day, but begin to shape maybe our 30 days as we enter into Awaken. What does this mean for me? And then what does this mean for us? What's this mean collectively? And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what Jesus does. And in a simple sequence, here's what Jesus did as we kind of end this. He, he did this. He brought in. He tore down, and he built up. He brought in, he tore down, and he built up. So what am I going to do? I'm going to bring in. I'm going to invite in. I'm going to allow in. I'm going to engage in. 
I'm going to show interest in those who are unlike me and different me before I jump to a conclusion, before I spew, before I respond, before I dive into the water cooler discussion about those people. Before I type, before I repost, before I retweet, I'm going to pause and I'm going to ask myself a question. Does what I'm about to say and what I'm about to do, does it represent Jesus? Does it allow for diversity? Does it allow for conversation? Does it promote unity? Will it allow the one on the other side in? Does it leave a door? Does it leave opportunity for them to come in and experience his grace too? Or, and what I'm about to do, say, post, does it create just one more wall of hostility? So I'm going to do what Jesus did. I'm going to bring in. I'm going to bring in resolution. In places of conflict, I'm not just going to compound it. I'm going to say, hey, I think there's a way to resolve these things. So I'm going to bring in and I'm going to tear down. I'm going to seek to tear down walls and barriers that keep people from knowing God and feeling valued. I'm going to allow grace and time, relationship to lead, and then I'm going to build up. I'm going to, I'm going to find places and I'm going to be a, be, be a part of creating places and cultures and, and encounters where people can experience God. They can see Jesus. They can come to know who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And they can come to understand who they were, but they don't have to stay there. I want them to experience his love and his grace through me. So I'm going to build up. I'm going to take inventory of what I'm building every day. What am I building? What am I tearing down? What am I building? What am I tearing down? What am I building? And I believe that when we begin to do these things collectively, there's amazing things that's going to happen. That's what I'm going to do. So what's your next step? What's your next step? Can I encourage you to a next step? I think it's perfect timing. Guys, we've had this, we've had this lesson series in the can for, for quite a while. And, and, and I love that this lesson today culminates on this day around an event that we didn't even know about. This event awakened. Well, you know what's going to happen over the next 30 days? As Leanne said, there's going to be 300 churches that are going to come together and they're going to set aside differences and they're going to unify themselves around Jesus and they're going to seek to, what, mend divided walls. And they're going to begin to pray for people that they don't know, people who aren't like them. People they may not meet, but, but with the diversity of Nashville, we know that it's going to be people that are just a little bit different. So maybe your first step is this, walking out and grabbing a packet and say, starting today, I'm going to commit myself to prayer and fasting. You know, one of the things I told somebody yesterday as I was giving them a packet at the office is that I used to think of fasting as a burden, but what I've learned is it's a blessing. And I want you to step into that blessing. I want you to think about, okay, what meal can I give up? What drink can I give up? What, what food can I give up? And maybe there's some things additional to that. Maybe I've got to give up some other things that are just taking up space in my life. And I'm going to surrender, and I'm going to, I'm going to refocus. I'm going to use this as an opportunity. Maybe for you, that's your first step. I want to invite you to something else. This afternoon at 7 o'clock, we're going to get together at the Ryman Auditorium of all places downtown. And we're going to get together and we're going to worship and we're going to kick this thing off with I don't know who. I'm probably not going to know the person sitting beside me or in front of me. And I love that because I think it's a direct reflection of what Paul is calling us to this morning. And so for you, maybe that's where you start this morning. You say, you know what, I I'm going to step into the opportunity to not just individually do this, but collectively do this. I'm going to unite, and I'm going to pray for people to come to know Jesus. 
Maybe you're here and you need to take another first step. Maybe for you, you know what? I got I to gotta unload some forgiveness. I got to unload some baggage. I got I to gotta unload some shame. I talked to somebody this week about, about a, a mistake that has become guilt, that has become shame, that has become defining. And I looked at the individual and said, that does not get to define you. And so for you, maybe you need to be ministered and, and, and looked at in a way and look directly in the eyes and say, listen, that doesn't get to define you. Oh, it might have separated you for a moment, but because of his great love. Maybe you just need to hear that today. So I want to encourage you to step into that. Explore what forgiveness can look like. Maybe for you it's salvation. Like, hey, I'm not even in a relationship with Jesus. I'm just over the last couple weeks or couple months, I, I've been kind of learning about, and I've been understanding a little bit more through the Spirit. Man, God has, has opened up my mind. He's opened up my heart. Let's talk about that. Let's stop being our own worst enemies and let the past be the past and let's begin to move into what God has created us to be, this handiwork. I said this last week, we're not Christians because we live like Christians. We're Christians because we accepted the grace and the gift of God. And so if that's your next step, then step into that. For you, maybe it's breaking out of. And use this 30 days to break out of some old habits. Maybe for you, it's about addictions or relationships. So as we end today, I want you to know there's an opportunity for you to explore those things, to question those things, to be prayed for in those things. So I'm going to ask our shepherds if you guys would just kind of stand. And I'm going to have them kind of move to the back. And I want you to notice, like Gary and Melissa, I think, are right here. Jason and Tanya are typically in the back. Jim and Pam. And I want you to, to, to see these people, and they're always here. These people are here for you, to help you take your next step to help you navigate those things, to ask questions about salvation and forgiveness and addiction. They're here to help you with all those things. And so I always want you to know that they are here. They're available. It's who I go to. These are my rocks. These are the people that pray for me, that love me, encourage me, discipline me. But these are the people that I love, and I know that you will, and that God has strategically placed here for you in these moments. So I don't know what God's going to stir in you today, and I don't know what God's going to stir in you over the next 30 days as you participate in Awaken, but I'm telling you, I, I know it's going to move you closer. It's going to move you into an area, an arena that oh, might scare you a little bit, but I'm telling you, it's going to be exhilarating because God's going to do something amazing. And when he begins to do something amazing in you, he'll begin to do something amazing in us. So we're going to move into communion. And, and I can't think of a better text to come out of and into communion. I think when Jesus sat with his disciples, who, by the way, came from all different kinds of backgrounds, some were educated, some were not. Some had it together and most did not. But he created something that he knew when he created it, that there would be a January 27, 2019, when people would continue to do this, around tables with some similar things. Jesus took a cup that was on the table and he said, hey guys, this is going to represent my blood. He said, I don't want that to be gross, but it's just, I'm about to, I'm about to shed blood. I'm going to give my life for you. By the way, it's the same blood that transports us, that brings us from far to near. And he takes a piece of bread and he says, hey, I'm going to go to the, 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 the farthest sacrifice I can make. I'm going to, I'm going to break my body for you but it's not going to stay broken forever because what's going to happen is I'm going to create a body 
body of people. And I'll be the head of it, but I'm going to create a body of people, and that body's going to be beautiful, and it's going to be unique. It's going to be made of hands and feet and eyes. It's, 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 it's going to be beautiful. Just wait till you see it. And what he establishes around that table 2,000 years ago is a table that we still get around where there'll be people that come up here that's going to have baggage. They're going to be people that are in the greatest season of their life right now. And they're going to be people that don't know how they're going to survive the day. There are going to be people who know a lot about God, and there are people who don't know a lot about God. There are going to be a lot of people who maybe think they know a lot about God. There are going to be people who are new to this and old to this. There are going to be people who are addicts. There are going to be people who have struggled with a multitude of things and continue to, even though you would never see it on their face or know it by just coming to church. There are going to be white people, black people. There are going to be people who have all different sorts of stories. Because of what was found on the table, they too were transported. And there was a seat left open that said, you are always welcome at the table because I have created a new humanity. I have created a oneness. And what better place to end today than in this place where while we will gather around multiple tables for time's sake, it still represents a oneness. A oneness that allows us to move into a better future, to move into a better place. It was what created the possibility. It was what tore down the wall of hostility. Father, as we move into these tables, will you let this be a reminder today that you created something beautiful and you're not finished 